Gospel of Matthew chapter 4. I want to go back and talk not the same theme as last night, but I want to talk about that same bunch of people. Those men, fishermen, Jesus shows up. Aren't you glad that Jesus has a way of showing up when you need him most? And when you're lost, you can hear the Spirit drawing you, wooing you to trust him and be saved. And for those of us who are saved, and there's, there's something in us that he, he imparts that desire to be his servant. That doesn't mean you'll go to Australia or Malawi necessarily, but it means you may take a box full of tracks and go give them out. But in Matthew chapter 4, let's start reading in verse number 12. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed unto Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zabulon and Nephthalim, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zabulon, the land of Nephthalim, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Well, I love this next verse. The people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, and this will be my verse tonight, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. There's a lot of material preach on from that one verse. He said unto them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. In fact, I may preach another two or three sermons this week on that one verse, but who knows. Here's what I want you to see tonight. And he said unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. If anyone else had made such a, what would appear to be arrogant statement we would not believe it. But he had every right to make that statement. And what we do, it doesn't matter where we're going. Uh, these missionaries won't mind me saying this. The place we're going to is the least important thing. Because wherever we're going, we're going with a purpose. And that purpose is to lift him up high and to preach him. I think the three most important decisions every one of us make in life are these what am I going to do with Jesus Christ? Because everything else in your life will be determined by what decision. Last night I talked about that second, that moment when we're confronted with the truth that I'm a sinner on my way to hell, but he died for me. And Lord, I trust you. And you're born again. You know the verse there in John 3, it didn't say born again and again and again and again. Uh, born again. We're born into his family. So the most important question for anyone is what are you going to do with Jesus? The second one is this. Who am I going to marry? Let me give you my third one and I'll come back to that one. The third one is, that applies, I won't, I'm not going to make any smart remarks. The third question is this. What am I going to do with my life? 
But I put that second one in there about who you're going to marry because if you do that wrongly, you may never be able to do what the Lord wants you to with your life. Now, here's my beginning thought tonight in question. Why is this question about Jesus so important? Now, we believe it is. I know where I'm at. I'm at Lakewood Baptist Church. We believe that God is the creator, the all-powerful one, the only savior, the holy one. We believe what the Bible reveals about him. By the way, if, the, if he didn't reveal it, we wouldn't know it. I mean, we can see his power. I mean, how could you live in a place like Harrison, Tennessee and drive by that lake and drive and sit the beauty of the... How could anyone do that and not realize there is a, not just a creator God, but a artistic, beautiful, everything he does is good. So why is this question about Jesus so important? Even in his day when he walked this earth, uh, people were asking, who is he? And he said, who do men say that I am? I was, uh, don't laugh about this, but I was in a barber shop in the local area. I told y'all not to laugh about that. <laughs> I knew what they were going to do before I said it, but I was in the barber shop. Do you know they charged me just as much? <laughs> but the barber was a Christian. And he was cutting my hair, and there was another man came in, and he he was a he had been a prisoner of war in Vietnam. And we were talking. And I started witnessing to him, even as they were working on me. And he told me that he was the son of what he called a hard shell Baptist preacher. He had been in the military, had a hard life. He was captured in Vietnam, spent a long time there. And I was trying to witness to him, and he said he started trying to reason with me and he said well aren't there needs at home well I never said there weren't and then he said don't all religions come down from heaven and the truth is all religions come straight out of the pit of hell all religion will do send you to hell because it says, look, what you've got to do, and you can't do this, and you've got to do that. Look at me. I'm, I give more money than you, Josh Durden. No, that's probably not the truth, but that, that's religion. You know, how many times you pray and all the ceremony and all the ritual. And here was a man who, who's from this area who grew up in a Baptist preacher's home and had no idea why it's important that you understand who Jesus is. There are many in his clan. Now, I know I've told you this before, but I can, of all the conversations, and I have many of them on, on an airplane, but I was on the plane. This man beside me was an executive with IBM. And I started trying to witness to him. He said, sir, I'm a Catholic. Don't want to hear that. He's working on his laptop, you know, so we're getting ready to land. He folds his laptop up, and I start trying to share the gospel with him again. He said, no, sir, I've already told you that I'm a Christian, but I believe it doesn't matter. It's all the same if you're a Muslim or a Hindu, an atheist. As long as you're sincere, it's all the same. And I looked at him and I said, sir, you shock me. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, when I sat down beside you 
you told me that you work for IBM. I just assumed you were rational. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you're sitting there with a straight face. You're not even smiling, telling me that you believe in 30 million gods of Hinduism and no god of Buddhism and the creator god of the Bible all at the same time. Sir, you can't do that. He said, well, I've never thought about it that way before. But I tell you what, people better think about it that way. Jesus is the center of everything that we do. That's why we're having missions conference. That's why you're giving your evenings to come out here and listen to these testimonies and hang out with these missionaries and feed us and all that goes with that. Does it really matter? Can I say to you, for the missionary, it matters. What would make a couple take their kids or a single person go across the world and all the risks that go with that. Not every place is equally dangerous. Some places are heathen. We lived, Lynn and I, we lived in a Muslim country for 16 years. More than one time I've had people come and say, I'll come back and kill you. And I said, well, I'll be here when you get back. <laughs> now that sounds real brave, and it wasn't, okay? It just never happened. Why would anyone take their whole clan from beautiful Danville, Virginia to a little country right down in the middle of nowhere called Malawi? Why would they do it? Why would they go to the Sahara? Why would they go to Australia? Why would they go where? Why would they go to New York City? Boy, I'm, I got a lot more faith to live in Africa than I do to live in New York City. Why would any missionary go to Siberia and try to accomplish the seeming impossible of winning people who don't even want to hear to Christ? Why would they do that? They have their religion, they have their pride, they have their nationality, and they will let you know that they do. It's impossible to explain why we do what we do apart from our belief that Jesus is the only Savior of anyone. Would I do what, I, what we have done for philosophy? Anybody like to read philosophers and all that? I can, I can help you. I can save you a lot of time because you read all the philosophers and I've read lots. lots of, I'm a big reader. I've read all their, you know, uh, here, here's the bottom line of all the philosophy and philosophers in the world. Life is stupid. <laughs> I mean, that just sums it up. Because when you read their writings, they have no hope, they have no help, they have nothing to offer anyone except a little pride how smart they are. In all the metaphysics of a thousand poor, perspiring heads, there's not the faintest flash of understanding that the great first cause is a God who loves. And if you leave that out, folks, you don't have much to go with. I wouldn't do it for philosophy. These people wouldn't do it for philosophy. We would not give like we do for philosophy. We wouldn't do it for any of that. Would I do it for modern science? 
How many of you know, how many of you went to school when science was science? And you had to demonstrate that something was either true or not true? You know what I'm talking about? Now they just make it up as they go. I, gotta, I have to be careful what I'm saying because I'm not anti-scientist. I've got some great friends. Our missionary, Brian Collins, down in Zambia, is a rocket scientist. He worked for NASA. So I'm not against science, scientists and science, real science, but I'm against the prejudice and the assumption that man in their thinking must be either a god or a devil, and they have nothing. You, so you, you can prove this factor or that fact, but what I want to know is how do I get to heaven and be in the presence of God and enjoy all that comes from that? From that? I took, when Lynn and I went to the field, that was a long time ago. Y'all, you, y'all know that. That was a long time ago. I mean, I had a head full of curly hair. And um, she followed me to France, and we spent a year and a half studying French. Nous pouvons parler français très bien. We could speak French very well. And we went to our place in the desert, and not one neighbor we had spoke French. <laughs> and they would come and say, Salam alaikum. And I would say, Je ne comprends pas. Bajama Gama, Je ne comprends pas. And I could have a brilliant conversation because I didn't understand what they were saying. They, they did understand Je ne comprends pas. And we lived in 16 years. Our kids were born there. They grew up there. And then she followed me down into the jungle. For nine months, she didn't have a stove. Just think about that. Why would anybody, I'm, I'm just telling you, no missionary, no Christian in the right mind would do what we do because of philosophy and science. I wouldn't do it for Confucius. Confucius is confusing. He lived a long time before Christianity. He wrote six classics, they call them. He wrote four other books. Confucius discouraged any belief in a personal God. It's a philosophy going back and finding the old Chinese philosophers and developing an economic system based on that. It's a pale shadow so far off, uh, less knowable than the faintest expression of tender love because there is no love in Confucianism. I wouldn't do it for Hinduism or Buddhism. I challenge you to find God in any of those religions. Now, I know Hinduism says they have 30 million gods, but it's a snake going down the path and the river and a tree the very question of finding God in Hinduism and Buddhism has a sad humor about it. There's no personality. It's bleak. It's without character. It's pantheistic, meaning God is in everything and everywhere. Just think about that a minute. That's the most stupid thing. I don't use that word much. I tell my college students, drop the word stupid from your vocabulary. You know why I tell them that? Because it's the same word in Spanish almost and in French and a lot of other languages. And you're out there ranting and raving about the stupid holes in the road and those people think you're, you're saying they're stupid. So I tell the missionaries, don't use it wherever they're going. But I can't help but say it about a religion that claims to be everything and anything and everywhere and everything. 
and karma and some impersonal cosmic power. Yet in America, we bought into all this through yoga and all this. I'm sorry, I didn't. I get to. I'm just saying, folks, I, there's no way that any of us are going to take our families to some place to reach them for Christ because of religion. Would I do it for Mohammed? He was born 600 years after Christ. He had met Christians. He was acquainted with the Old Testament and New Testament. But you'll find nothing about God's love in the Quran. You'll find nothing about God's love, the love of Allah for any woman. What I can't understand, I'm just being honest with you tonight, I can't understand why any lady could be a Muslim. And they hate those of us who preach the blood of our Savior. But I do it for Shintoism. Shinto, but they're... Is based on fear, ancestor worship, spirits. I was in Japan one year, and this lady was all she was about to have a nervous breakdown because there's a vet, there's a town, a smaller town in Japan, and they teach that all the gods in Japan moved over that town for one day, and that lady was about to have a nervous breakdown because all the gods have gone over to whatever the name of that town was. Aren't you glad we don't sit around and we be in full of fear because we don't know what's going on around us? Shinto is animism, it's folk religion. The Greeks had 30,000 gods. Most of them were gods of lust, the worst kind of impurity you can imagine. Even in Roman times, it was said, man has climbed up Mount Olympus and they found no gods there. No one talks about Zeus and Jupiter and Mercury and those. In the Bible, don't you love the irony in the Bible sometimes? They have ears. They can't hear. They have eyes. They can't see. They have hands that can't move. They have feet that can't go anywhere. And I want to say to them sometimes, if you made it, it didn't make you. Now, our people in America may not worship a stone idol. They may not have a butsudan in their home like in Japan. But we worship a lot of other things that are just as dangerous. Religion cannot do so much to help you, let alone take you to heaven. Religion is like going up to New York City and deciding that I'm going to swim from New York City to England. And it doesn't matter if Josh Durden can swim better than I can or not. I might make it 500 feet, I'd drown. Josh, he's long, tall, he might make it a half a mile out there. But he's not going to make it to England. And that's the story of religion. You can try it and you can do everything you to your uttermost, and yet there's no assurance. Did you know that no Muslim will ever say, I know that I'm going to not to paradise? Because they can't know they believe. There are a lot of Baptists in Harrison in Hamilton County. They don't know it either because they're basing their whole testimony on what they did sometime back in the past or their daddy was a Baptist or their granddaddy was a Baptist preacher or whatever. 
Uh, you cannot make it swimming to England. You can't make it to heaven following religion. Don't you love the simplicity of God's word? For God so loved the world that he gave. People say, I can't understand the Bible. What part of that don't you understand? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to think about that verse for just a moment. For God does away with atheism. So loved does away with fatalism. The world does away with nationalism. Shinto is uniquely the religion of Japan. We don't believe that. We believe God loves the world. He gave, does away with materialism. His only begotten son destroys Islam. That whosoever believeth does away with Calvinism. In him answers pluralism and it's all the same. It doesn't matter if you're sincere. Well, you can take the medicine in your medicine cabinet as sincere as you want to, but if it's arsenic, you're going to die. Should not perish destroys the JW belief in annihilation. We don't go to, we don't, hey, we got life right now. We don't have to wait till we go to heaven, get to heaven. We got it right now. <laughs> have everlasting life. Well, there goes Arminianism out the window. <laughs> There's a better way. Not any of those isms and all that. It's the holy, only begotten Son of God who loves us. The Bible is not just a book about theology. It's a book about a God who's at work in us. Did you know that most theological books, I'm not against them, but a lot of them miss the whole point. They get into a lot of details, not that that's wrong. And uh, sometimes people say, well, I just can't understand the Bible. Uh, would I be so too proud if I said that a lot of theologians don't understand the Bible either? You said, Brother Godfrey, why? Because they miss the central point of all of it. They get to arguing points and they forget that it's about Jesus. William Ramsey was an atheist, a brilliant man, an atheist, wealthy, had a PhD from Oxford University in England. He studied archaeology. He was determined to destroy people's belief in the Bible being the Word of God. He moved over to the Middle East and he lived there for 25 years and he thought, I'm going to study the, the writings of Luke, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts have more historical details in them than any of the other books. And he said, I'm going to study those books. I'm going to go over there. I'm going to prove to these Christians the Bible is not true. 25 years later, one of his books, he shocked the world that William Ramsey had just become a dedicated Christian. <laughs> because everything he saw in Luke's books Every little detail, every city, every cultural item that he found proved to him the Bible is true. Lou Wallace. Anyone know that name, Lou Wallace? He was a lawyer. He was a union general. Lord, forgive him for that. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. 
I, I can't help myself. I get myself in trouble. He was the governor of New Mexico Territory. And he had a conversation with the famous infidel, Robert Ingersoll. And as he had that conversation, he realized he didn't know as much as he thought he did. And he set out to disprove the Bible, just like William Ramsey did. But before he got to the end of his study, he was convinced of the deity of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he wrote the book, Ben-Hur. Now I could go on and on. That was a time ago. Viglo Olson wrote the book Daktar, Missionary to Muslim People in Bangladesh. Vig Olson was a surgeon, well-educated, smart aleck. His wife was a sincere believer. Her parents were Christians. They prayed for him. They witnessed to him. And he, he got to one point in his life, he said, I've had enough of it. I'm going, to, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to study the Bible so that I could prove to them that the Bible is not true. And it wasn't long before Big Olson, just like the rest of them, had to fall on his knees and admit that he is God of all gods and Lord of all lords and King of all kings. Who is he? Well, that's my theme tonight. Who is he? That's another sermon. I'll let preacher take care of that one. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. He's king of the Jews. He's Christ. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's the word, the light, the life, the son of God, the son of man, Messiah, the master, the king of Israel, and the fisher of men, the lamb of God, the sin bearer. Okay, we miss that. We miss it all. Because it's not about it. It's thank God that he's willing to use us missionaries and church folk. But it's not about us. It's about him. So let's keep that before us as we think about missions conference and what we're doing. Brother Bragg, Ron Bragg, years ago, he and I were in Senegal. We worked together. for. We're still good friends. When you go through things like you go through together on the mission field, you, you get close. And we were there in Senegal, and he came to me one day, and he said, uh, he said, J.B., you and I are never going to be famous missionaries living in a place like this. <laughs> uh, anyway, that was not our goal, to become famous missionaries. Our goal was to tell them about Jesus and see them get saved. And by the way, they did, and they still are, and there are still missionaries over there. And the church, the first church I started 47 years ago is still going on. And one of the young men that we led to the Lord there when he was about six years old is the pastor of that church because that's what it's all about. And Lord, I pray that we'd never forget that it's not in religion and any philosophy or anything else, but it's in you, your Holy Son, who came to this earth and gave himself. And what a message we have to share as we go out from here uh, with the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of our Savior and help us understand that in Jesus' name.